First uh, Chronicles 17, uh, we'll look, uh, we'll split this passage up into two parts. One is the first part of the Davidic covenant, the first half of the chapter, uh, verses 1 through 15. And then next week, we'll look, uh, Lord willing, at verses 16 uh, to the end of the chapter, to verse 27. I compared this with 2 Samuel chapter 7, and it is the parallel passage of this. It is almost word for word the whole chapter. So all of 2 Samuel 7 and all of 1 Chronicles 17 are identical. And so I went back and watched Pastor Ty's message from October 30th, and I'll encourage you to look at that. Uh, and as you're watching October 30th, uh, 2022, the Sunday School uh, recording. He, what he does there is going to be different than what I'm going to do because the same text. What he did was uh, look at uh, how that Second Samuel 7 fit in with the context of all of Scripture, how the covenants led to the Davidic covenant, and how it played out in the New Testament. What I'm going to do then is just going to look word by word through the passage before us because it's the same thing as Second Samuel 7. And we're going to see uh, God's promise promises are based on his character so we'll see uh david uh god and then god promising a lot here in our in our passage and then who is he promising uh these things to and then we'll do some application um and some observations at the end so god's promises are based on his character so from what we have seen in first chronicles david has um been obedient to the Lord. He has taken time from Uzzah's death to a couple months of preparation. So he has learned what God expected. He's got the Levites involved. He's got all the people carrying the ark how they should have. Uh, you remember the worship that we looked at in First Chronicles 16 and over three different weeks. And so he is uh, probably on an emotional high and a spiritual high and all of Israel unified as David is their king. And they want to follow him and follow the Lord. And so as David goes back to his house, that's the end of uh, verse uh, 43 of 16, he's, he goes home and he blesses his household. And that's where chapter 17 starts. Now, when David lived in his house, he's looking around his house and he's thinking, okay, we just brought the Ark of the Covenant to a temporary tent. And here I am living in a permanent house. So what do, what's his desire here? And we see David's desire, verses one and two. He says to Nathan the prophet, same prophet that is going to expose his sin later with Bathsheba. And so obviously David's got this relationship with Nathan, a close relationship with a man of God. And he says to Nathan, behold, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is under a tent. So I'm in a permanent dwelling, that is elaborate, like most likely as a king. And the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, God's presence, is in a temporary tent. Something's wrong here. Uh, and so Nathan says to him in verse 2, uh, David, do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. And it's pretty obvious that God wasn't with David when he carried the Ark of the Covenant incorrectly and kills Uzzah. But from that point on, as he is obeying the Lord and following uh, the uh, commands of the um, first five books of the Bible, that it was clear that David was worshiping the Lord. God was with them. They uh, 
they worship the Lord in the in the beauty of holiness. And David's desire to honor the Lord comes from a heart. We know he's a man after God's own heart and a life that are submissive and worshipful. And he wants uh, God's presence to match God's character. So we're going to go back to First Chronicles 16 and look at four different places where we are going to look at God's character in a way that is it is it temporary or is it permanent? Is it something that is something that God does that is um, stable and secure, or does would a tent be an appropriate dwelling place for a God who we just praised? So let's look at verse thirty of First Chronicles sixteen. Uh, worship the Lord and tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. So they're praising the Lord and worshiping him and they're trembling before him. And they're realizing in this worship that God has established the earth and it won't be moved. It reflects the character of God. He doesn't change. Then look at verse 31. Let the earth, heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Now we're thinking with David and those worshiping, how long has the Lord reigned? Forever. Like he's never had a beginning. He never has an end. And there's never a time in all of eternity, past, present, future, that God hasn't reigned. And this is present tense. The Lord is reigning. He's reigning. This is, this is what we tell everyone. The Lord's reigning. It's just a matter of time before it's obvious, but he's reigning. Okay. So that is stability and continuity. Uh, verse 34. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Here, another enduring thing about the Lord and very clearly his character. And what about his character? He is good and his steadfast love endures forever. God has always been and always will be steadfastly loving. Okay, this is an enduring character quality that the psalmist and those writing this are singing and praising God with just the chapter before David's having these thoughts. And then verse 36, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. So he is the everlasting God and we're going to bless him. And then all the people say, amen. <laughs> we, we should do this. We should praise him from everlasting to everlasting. So he's wanting a dwelling place for the Ark of the Covenant that matches the character of God that they just sang about. And he's saying, okay, I'm living in a more permanent dwelling and God's in a tent. Doesn't match his character. All right. So uh, verse three, back in 17. Uh, but that same night, and it's interesting that God gives us time references. There's a lot of same nights or uh, when Jesus is little baby, Jesus is rescued the same night. Uh, his parents take him to Egypt to, to spare his life. Uh, you think of the, the story of Esther and there's the same night the king can't sleep is when Mordecai is read about and then praised the next day. And a lot happens in in God's providence. And so God comes to Nathan as he knows, obviously, David and Nathan's conversation and the Lord says to Nathan, now all of verse 4 all the way down to verse 14 is all what God says to Nathan. And Nathan's going to uh, relay to David likely the next day. So go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, 
All right, this is the God that you want to worship, and he, you just transported the ark, you just praised me. Uh, thus says the Lord, it is not you who will build me a house to dwell in. So Nathan tells him at the end of verse two, do all that's in your heart. Okay, you can you can build the temple, uh, David. God comes in to Nathan and says, nope, not for David to build the house to dwell in. Verse five, for I have not lived in a house. This is God talking to Nathan. For I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up Israel to this day. That's 400 years that God has had his dwelling in a tent. Uh, different places, we know where the Ark of the Covenant has been with the Philistines, with a couple houses in Israel, and now in Jerusalem. Uh, and it's going to stay in Jerusalem until Solomon builds the temple in uh, several more decades. So God's saying, I, I have not lived in a house um, for all these years, but I have gone from tent to tent and from dwelling to dwelling. In all places where I have um, moved with all Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel? Now, before King Saul, judges ruled for uh, several centuries. And God says, okay, did I tell any of the judges that ruled, whom I commanded to shepherd my people, mm -hmm. saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Okay, so I've never said this, God, God says. So what is God's desire? God's desire is for his worship, yes, but he's not after a physical place. Um, which matches what Jesus says to the woman at the well. Um, you may disagree with the Jewish people where, where you should worship, but there's going to come a day, um, he tells the woman at the well, that you're going to worship in spirit and in truth. It's not going to matter where where you worship. And so uh, God's desire for worship is not, not really a physical place. It's not necessary or ever. God doesn't ever demand this. And we go from... Um, that to now, therefore, now see the transition, uh, then he's going to, God's now going to talk to Nathan, um, thus you should say to my servant, David, thus says the Lord of hosts. Okay. When God calls himself the Lord of hosts, that's the Lord of the hosts of heaven, which we have seen, uh, previously, um, when the Lord of hosts, I believe killed Uzzah and is worshiped later, the Lord of the armies of heaven. Okay, so the Lord of the armies of heaven uh, is going to give David a little uh, summary of, of his life. I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel. So David, we know from the historical books that David was despised even in his own house. And he says later that his house was smallest in Israel, so... He wasn't in a well-known family, nor was an of the small household that he was in, uh, not a, a dominant, a leading household. He is looked down upon by all of his brothers because he's the shepherd. And they're all doing other things. They're fighting for King Saul and his army. And David's watching sheep, a lowly job. God says, I raised you, David, from watching sheep to be not just over my people, but prince over my people Israel. And we got to stop here and say, God doesn't take any of us from our lowly position and make us political rulers <laughs> over. Uh, this isn't talking to pastors today. I'm not the prince over Grace Bible Church. <laughs> um, I don't have that authority. Uh, no other pastor has the, the, the title prince. He is a shepherd in the New Testament, a pastor. Um, 
elders are to shepherd, never to rule over them like the, the Gentiles. But David is to be prince over God's people, Israel. All of Israel recognized this back in the previous chapters when they went and said, David, we want you to come rule over us. We want to worship your God. We want you to follow us. And now David has led them. They are following him. And God says, I get the credit, David, for taking you from shepherd to prince. This is the past. And he also, one more thing here, I've been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies uh, from before you. So, you know, we know uh, that David has killed the lion, the bear, Goliath, his 10,000s. And, and God says, I've been with you. I get credit for going with you and fighting for you. So I've done all this for you, David. And then verse eight continues, and I will. So now you'll start seeing I will, I will, I will. Um, so now God's going to start going from the past. God's help in the past to promises that he will help in the future. He first starts the promises to David individually. I will make for you, in verse 8, a name like the name of the great ones of the earth. To this day, people know about David. David's name is actually mentioned second only to the name of God in the Bible. You can do a search and see how many times David's name is mentioned, but you'll see david's name a lot in old testament obviously these passages but you'll see his name multiple times in the new and when pastor ty mentioned uh, some of the uh mentions of david in the in the messiah's line even in revelation the last uh, chapter of the bible has david's name there as well so david does have a name that is among the great ones of the earth Verse 9, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel. Now he goes from God promising to David specifically to broadening it to all the people of Israel that David is now prince over. There are God's people, um, and God's going to promise uh, the people of Israel some things here. Verse 9, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them. Uh, this is a permanent. Remember, David wants a permanent dwelling for God, and God says, David, I am going to make your name great. And I'm going to plant my people permanently. This is my plan, David. And you, you're part of this plan. I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them. And they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men, which if you read the book of Judges and how King Saul ruled and how the Philistines were constantly uh, fighting against the Israelites as Saul was ruling. There's a lot of violent people around the children of Israel for hundreds of years. And of course, they've come out of captivity, which violent men ruled over them there. And God says, okay, violent men shall waste them no more as formerly. Verse 10, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and he points back to the judges time, and I will subdue all your enemies. Now back to David. So he has several promises here for Israel, uh, permanence, planting them, uh, protecting them. And then he says to David, and I will subdue all your enemies. Moreover, and he has already said, I've cut off your enemies back in um, verse, what verse eight. And now he said, I'm going to continue to do this. I will keep subduing all your enemies. Moreover, I declare to you that the Lord will build you a house. Now, he's not talking about a physical house because David's living in a physical house. And it's interesting that God says, you want to build me a house, David, and I'm going to build you a house. 
<laughs> and he's not talking about a physical house. He's talking about a dynasty, um, a lineage that's going to continue for forever. I'm going to build your house, <clears throat> David. Um, and David's has taken the place of King Saul. Saul's house is not going, it didn't continue more than one generation as king. Verse 11, when your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, there is, we just talked uh, last Sunday, two Sundays ago about the Sadducees rejecting the uh, resurrection, the idea of resurrection. The idea of resurrection is throughout the Bible. Here's one little snippet of uh, the resurrection that David's going to walk with his fathers. That only is possible if there is a resurrection um, and not just annihilation. So um, <clears throat> he's talking about David's death. Now, verses 11 to 14 are not to David. So David has uh, the promises of the second half of 8 and the second half of 10. But the Davidic covenant actually has more text for Solomon than it does David. And so let's look at 11 to 14 and see if this is David or his offspring. Verse 11, <clears throat> when your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. So God promises this. And in 2 Samuel 7 and 1 Chronicles 17, this happens, this promise happens before David kills Uriah and takes Bathsheba. And we know Solomon is the son who fulfills this, and Solomon's mother is Bathsheba. So David isn't even married to Bathsheba yet, and Solomon's not on the planet yet. And yet God says, this is who I'm going to use, David. David has to take this by faith. Uh, he has other children at this time, but Solomon's not here yet. And David said, or God tells uh, David, I will establish his kingdom. That's Solomon's kingdom. Verse 12, he shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took my steadfast love from uh, him uh, from who was before you, as I took it from him who was before you. <clears throat> David watched in horror as he played the harp for King Saul, and God's steadfast love was not there. It was anger, and we know an evil spirit from the Lord replaced God's steadfast love in in Saul's life and David knows what that's like and so um having his steadfast love matches God's character which they just sang about back in verse 34 of chapter 16 his steadfast love endures forever and God promises my steadfast love is going to stay with Solomon um forever verse 14 but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. So forever, forever, forever. We're seeing this forever. We just saw in verse 34, verse 36, clearly God's steadfast love endures forever, and blessed be the Lord from everlasting to everlasting. So God's character is displayed here in these promises. Only a God who is who has steadfast love that endures forever can promise this. Now, I can promise my kids steadfast love, but my steadfast love cannot endure forever. 
because there may come a time that I lose my mind and I don't even know who they are. And I can't love them because I don't know them. <laughs> or when I breathe my last, I can't continue to pour out steadfast love because I'm I don't live forever in this in this life, and neither will they. Um, so my promise uh is is it's limited, but God's steadfast love is based on his steadfast love enduring forever. And when God promises steadfast love that endures forever, he can back up a promise like. I'm never going to take my steadfast love from your son and he's going to reign. His, he's going to have someone sitting on the throne forever. And we saw that played out in the person of Christ and we'll see it in the future. The second thing that God promises here, yeah, I'm going to establish his throne, his kingdom forever. You see at the end of verse 14, in my kingdom, uh, I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever the kingdom that god is planning for humanity god says david you are part of this and your son and i will be with that kingdom that i have raised you up as prince over that's going to continue and it's going to be established forever that's only as good as the person promising and only an eternal God can promise a forever kingdom. This requires providence of God to make sure that their kingdom lasts forever. Now, as we read through the rest of the Old Testament, there are times when Satan has Athaliah's heart, likely, and tells her to kill all of her grandchildren. And she almost succeeds in wiping out David's line, except for Joe, Joash, right? A year-old baby is spared by the providence of God. And wicked, probably demonically inspired um, Athaliah doesn't succeed in making this promise null and void. And then when baby Jesus comes, another wicked king tries to take him out, right? Herod the Great. And he doesn't succeed because that very night that the, the um, wise men don't go back to Herod, um, Joseph flees to Egypt and spares Jesus' life. Again, a vulnerable uh, child is spared by the providence of God. So God is establishing his throne forever. It's just a matter of time. And when we read about Jesus in the New Testament, and Jesus is exalted at God's right hand, and he sends the Holy Spirit and uh, establishes the church, and we read in Revelation that he's going to come again, and he's, his name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he's going to reign forever and ever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And we're so glad we're part of that. What David's going to do is respond to what he realizes Nathan is telling him. We're going to wait for next week to see David's prayer. We're going to learn a lot from David's prayer, so I don't want to skip over it or go quickly. But um, what can we learn from this Old Testament Davidic covenant? Well, this is the final covenant of the Old Testament. This puts David in the line of redemptive history, narrowing the focus that was given from Adam and the fall, that a seed's going to crush the serpent's head, to Abraham, uh, one of your offspring, all the nation of the world is going to be blessed, to Moses, if you would do this, obey these laws, uh, I, will, I will be your God forever, and Israelites couldn't do it, but Jesus does do it. And now 
the Davidic covenant where it's from Adam to Abraham to Judah to David. And David realizes, I am in this line of covenant. <laughs> and uh, it's remarkable. Covenants are only as good as the character and the power and the goodness of the covenant makers. I could promise my children that I would, they can inherit all of my millions. But my son's laughing because he knows I don't have, I have, I mentioned this morning, I have $4 million. I'll give you guys all a million dollars when I die. And that's only good if I have that in the bank. I can put that in writing all I want, but that doesn't, that doesn't put uh, the, that amount of money in my account with their name on it when I pass. But if God promises something, he has unlimited resources and he can oversee all of, he does oversee human history to bring about exactly what he promised David a thousand years before the Messiah comes. So covenants are only as good as the character and the power of the covenant makers. Only a sovereign and steadfastly loving God can make this kind of covenant. And we, they just praise God this way. And then mm -hmm. right after that, God makes this kind of covenant that magnifies his character. His steadfast, loving loyalty lasts forever. And he is the sovereign God who is reigning. He always will reign. And then the last um, thought here, what promise does Jesus make to Nicodemus and to us in John 3, verses 16 to 18? There are many promises in the New Testament. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But the promise of eternal life is something that only an eternal God can guarantee. And he says, John 3, 16, God so loved the world. Here is God's love again. His steadfast love that endures forever, that David enjoyed and praised, is now on display in the person of Jesus. And Nicodemus was the teacher in Israel and was struggling to get this. And we can get it. And the world can get it if they will humble themselves under the mighty hand of God and realize God so loved me that he gave his only son. And whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's a promise, eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him, and Jesus is still talking to Nicodemus, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. So eternal life is for those who trust Jesus alone to make them born again. But eternal death is for those who will not trust Jesus alone. There, uh, if you will be condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So Jesus comes. And what you have to do for eternal death is really nothing. You're a sinner and your sin will take you to eternal death. And that's a promise. And God always keeps his promise. But the gift of God is eternal life. And we love and enjoy our God, and we have so much to praise him for his steadfast love and his ruling and reigning.